0: And once you have it, you can go ahead and turn to Romans 8. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. Now, some of you guys that know my testimony uh, know that I, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I didn't get saved till I was 20. I was in going to college and pretty radically changed. Um, but I look back at my life, and I, I would say any one of us probably would agree that we spend our lives looking for fulfillment, looking for contentment, looking for satisfaction. There's different ways to say that, but we're we're looking to live life to the fullest. We're looking to find the meaning of life. Find those those things in life that give us purpose and you know, w- without God in my life, that was in in looking into things of my flesh. And when I say that, it's just things that appealed to me, things that seemed right, things that seemed good. Like, oh, if I do this, if I achieve that, if I experience this, you know, that's living life. That's going to give me contentment. That's going to give me joy. It's going to give me everything I'm looking for. And anyone that's been saved by Jesus or you placed your faith in Jesus, you probably would agree with me too, that life is just full of constant disappointments in that some of those things are good, but none of them give you that contentment or that satisfaction that you're looking for. Because the proof in that is that you just continually feel this need to keep looking, right? There's never you never like get to this achievement or you experience this thing or you get something and you're just like, "Oh, I've arrived. Now I'm content and I need nothing else." That does not happen. And so when I came to know the Lord in my life, that was the first instance where something did feel different. Something changed. And I you know, I had a limited understanding of who Jesus was, but enough to know I needed him to save me, I needed him for forgiveness of sins, but there was a tangible experience I had where it was like, this is what I've been looking for. There's, I sense and I feel life in him that I haven't experienced before, and I want more of that. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, when you place your faith in Jesus, and we're gonna talk about this today, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, it's like it brings life to you, right? You're regenerated, you're reborn, and you're, for the first time, living the life God intends for you, and you can sense it and feel it. And then there's this drawing of the Holy Spirit pushing you towards Jesus so that you can just continue to experience more and more of what Jesus calls the abundant life, this overflowing life that can only be found in him. And so that, that's... That's what the Holy Spirit's main job is, is to lead you to Jesus and to help you follow where he's leading you, to know and follow so that you can experience the life God intends for you. And that's what Paul is really gonna reiterate today in this section of Romans where he kind of, we we saw it in chapter seven, but how he's convincing us of how it's pointless to try to live to the flesh and now he's gonna kinda go into this explanation of like why you shouldn't wanna live according to the flesh, why it's so much better to live in submission to the Holy Spirit. So we finished up Romans 7 last week, if you guys weren't here, and we saw Paul basically explain this battle that every single one of us can relate to regarding that now that we've been saved and, and we know God's word, we have his Holy Spirit inside of us, we know what's right and we wanna do what's right, but yet there's something inside of us that really fights hard in preventing us from doing what's right, and that, that's our flesh. Like, we're no longer slaves to it, but it's still there until we're saved completely and we're with Jesus, and then our flesh is dead, and we won't have to deal with that anymore, but until that time, it's still there, and there's this battle going on in us constantly, and so the only way to live in the victory that Jesus has won us over sin and over our flesh is not to, in a sense, just will it, like, I'm gonna be a good person. You know, you couldn't do that before you were saved. You couldn't be a good person to save yourself, so you can't do it now. You need God's help to save you, and you need his help now. So the the way to, to fight that battle is to go to the one that can actually help you overcome your flesh. It's to go to Jesus. It's to go to the Lord. It's to stay close to him. And he'll give you the grace to overcome the temptations of your flesh and live in that life he desires for you. So that's where we're gonna kind of pick it up in Romans 8 as Paul's gonna continue to elaborate on this, the key to, to overcoming our flesh. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into this section. We're gonna try to tackle the first 17 verses here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, we just want to settle our hearts and our minds, give you our undivided attention. Lord, This is this is one of those sections where I know that In my own, like, just time in my devotionals, I can read right through it, kind of think I understand, but not really give it the attention it deserves. Some of it can be kind of confusing unless we really take the time to break it down verse by verse and and understand this, this, this great order and logical explanation of why it is so much better to follow you in your spirit than following our flesh. And so this is something every single one of us deals with every day of our lives, every single second, even right here in this moment. And whether we're gonna let our flesh win or or we're gonna submit and surrender to your spirit and and listen to what it is you're telling us. And so, Lord, this is important for us to understand because we want to experience the life that can only be found in you, that we've really tasted and seen and and seen that's good but we want to experience all of it. We don't want to hold any part of our life back from you because what you have and you've really proven this is so much better than anything we could try to experience or manufacture in this life. So we want all of what you intend for us. So Lord, may we just be ready to receive this word and may it be maybe even an opportunity for somebody in here that's come here today not knowing you as your Lord and Savior to leave here in a relationship with the God that created them so they can experience life for the first time the way you intend it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember last week, toward the end of Romans 7, Paul spends a bunch of Romans 7 explaining what it feels like to try to win this battle with our flesh in your own power, right? And it leaves them feeling wretched, as it says in Romans 7, 24. And we explained how that word means like he was just miserable and exhausted at trying to be a good person. Even though he was a Christian, he still had this battle going on in him. And when he tried to live according to the law, it just left him feeling wretched. But in that place of desperation, his focus changed from being on himself to being on God. And that was a great thing because as soon as his focus got on God, he had a reason to be thankful because he understood that what he couldn't do in his own power, God was more than capable of doing through him and helping him live in that victorious life. And that gave him a heart of thanks. And in Romans 8, it's basically a continuation of Paul recognizing, who am I in Christ? What are the benefits that I have in being in Christ or having this relationship with Christ where his spirit's inside of me? And the first benefit he's gonna talk about here in verse one is that he understands that because he's in Christ, he's free from the guilt of sin. All right, because you are in Christ, you are free from the guilt of sin. There's that battle you're going through with your flesh and you still fall short But what Paul reminds himself and reminds ourselves of is that you are free from the guilt of sin when you fall short. He says in verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, yes. And you guys are welcome to be vocal. That does not faze me. We can get a little more Southern Gospel Pentecostal in this place, all right? So, now, condemnation... The definition of that is the action of condemning someone to a punishment or sentencing. So in the context of this passage, Paul is talking about the condemnation or that our, our sin justly deserves from God. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are in Christ, as Paul says in verse 1, or you've been joined together with him through his Spirit that resides in you. And since Jesus already took the condemnation our sin deserved upon Himself on the cross, ultimately death, that's what our sin deserves, that's part of the condemnation. He took that upon Himself and He conquered that death through His resurrection, which means He's condemned no more. There's no condemnation from God for us that are in Him either because the father no longer sees you in your sin, he sees you in his son. Yes, all right? That's something to be excited about. Anytime my wife and I get to go out to one of our favorite date night spots, that would be the Silver Salmon, Bob, we we love that place. All right? We love to get a piece of their peanut butter pie. That's typically not the only thing we get because they have this little scam where they bring out that dessert tray. Really, it's a brilliant thing because it's like, oh my gosh, how are we gonna pick what we're gonna eat? It's like, so we might end up getting two or three desserts, all right? And their desserts are sinfully delicious, okay? And they become very quickly hidden and buried in me where they are no longer visible as soon as they're set on the table, okay? So too are you and your sinful tendencies buried and hidden in Christ so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failings anymore. He sees you robed in the righteousness of his son as Isaiah 61.10 talks about, okay? And this is a glorious truth for Paul to acknowledge and remember in light of the battle he just got done talking about Romans seven where he's like, man, no matter what I do, I'm struggling with sin. I still have sin in my life. But what he's remembering here is that there's no condemnation for that sin. Jesus died, knowing I would fall short and he paid the price for it. That's not an excuse to keep doing it. He doesn't wanna do it. But when he falls short, he has this to remember. There's no condemnation. And it's another reason we, need to, we may need to make sure that our focus is on him rather than just trying to be good in our own efforts. Because not only is freedom from the demands and expectations of the law found in Jesus, but also found in him will be the freedom from the condemnation that comes when we fall short of the law. Okay? That's right. Just as God shut Noah and his family into the safety and security of the ark when God's condemnation was coming down on an unrepentant, sinful world as he flooded it, you too have been sealed in Jesus. He is your ark that is keeping you safe and secure through this world right into the next, and therefore now there is no condemnation for you who have placed your faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So now, Paul goes on to talk about another benefit that Jesus has won us at the cross in that our freedom from the power of sin is also found in him, all right? Our freedom From the power of sin is also found in him. He says in verse 2 For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, or basically sending Jesus as a person, or for sin. Or sending Jesus as a sin offering, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, Paul's very thoroughly up to this point in Romans 8 uh, has explained the law of sin and death that he's talking about here. Basically, that we're all sinful. And the penalty our sin deserves is death. And all you have to do is look at the sin in your own life and go visit the nearest graveyard full of dead people to understand that that law is an absolute truth, okay? But as absolute as that law is, there is a much greater law that can set us free from the power of the law of sin and death, as Paul tells us in verse two. Free in the sense that the Christian no longer has to sin and death no longer has any lasting power over us. This being what Paul refers to as the law of the spirit of life, which Paul is gonna go on to define in verses three and four. As we talked about last week, and Paul reiterates here in verse three, the law tells us what it takes to please God, but is unable to give you the power to overcome your flesh which gets in the way of you following the law and what it says. And since the law could only detect our sin, God had to send his son to defeat it at the cross, as Paul tells us in verse three. And in order to defeat sin, Jesus had to become like those that were bound in it or sent in the likeness of sinful flesh, as verse three says. It being very important for you to note the wording there, because it does not say Jesus was sinful flesh. It says he became like it, which means by being born as a baby and living as a human on this earth. Because Jesus was in fact sinless as he lived on this earth, which allowed him to be the perfect offering required by God to pay the required penalty for our sins. So that basically Jesus could condemn sin in the flesh, as verse three says, which happened when the condemnation your and my sin deserved was laid upon him on the cross. So because Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, as verse four says, believers who are in Christ have fulfilled it as well. It not being fulfilled by us or with our actions, but instead being fulfilled in us because we are in Jesus As it's Jesus's righteousness that fulfills your and my obligation to follow the law. And it's also Jesus that took the punishment the law required for our disobedience to it when we fall short of it. Okay? Paul telling us in verse 4 that the person who desires to be controlled by the Holy Spirit rather than their flesh is the one who enjoys the freedom that comes with being under the law of the spirit of life rather than the failure that comes with trying to live under the law of sin and death. Now, if you go to an airport, you're gonna see a bunch of airplanes sitting on the ground. Do any of those airplanes move on their own? No, because there is a law that some of us know most of us, hopefully. It is called the law of gravity. It's what keeps you grounded, okay? But as soon as you turn on the engines of those planes, there's a greater law that comes into practice. It is called the law of aerodynamics. And although the law of gravity is still very much in effect trying to pull those planes to the ground, there's a more powerful force at work through this greater law that allows those planes to overcome the pull of gravity and fly in the air. And like that example, Paul's telling us here, we are freed from the law of sin and death through the spirit of Jesus Christ who lives in us and are able to overcome our flesh because he is far greater and much more powerful than it is. Amen, amen. And he goes on to say in verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds of the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, or basically it leads to death. But to set the mind of the Spirit, it leads to life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, Paul told us in verse 4 that it's much better for us to allow ourselves to be controlled or led by the Holy Spirit rather than by our flesh. And he goes on here in verses 5 through 8 to tell us why that is. And actually gives us a test to determine which we are letting control our lives by telling us to consider where is your mind? Where, Where is your focus? What is it set on? Or what are you living for in your life? Are you living for the things God says are most important? Are you living for the things that you think are most important? Jesus distinguishes between those two different mindsets in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These are all temporal things that we can see and we can touch and that our mind can be captivated by and focus on. And he goes on to say, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So what, what Jesus says there is that instead of focusing on what you think is best or what you think you need, just as I would tell my kids, you don't have to focus on your needs. That's my job to take care of you right now. This is what God says to us. You don't need to focus on, on those things because actually, like Jesus says, if you do focus on those things, your life's gonna be full of worry and I'm trying to save you from that. Instead, just focus on me and what I say is good and right in my word. Focus on those things. Focus on your relationship with me and then I will actually meet your needs, which I know better than you even do. I'm the one in charge of taking care of you and I'll do that. You don't need to focus on these things. And we'd be wrong to assume that it's just blatant sinners who are those that would fall into the category of setting their minds on the things of the flesh As sometimes we can have good intentions with our desires and still be completely off on what God is really wanting for us in life. Peter gives us a great example of this in Matthew 16, 21 through 23. He says, It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Shocker, but take note, it's never good to reprimand God. Okay, that should be a red flag. He goes on to say in verse 23, then Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Or in essence, Peter's mind was on things of the flesh or what he wanted, what he thought was best. Instead of submitting his mind to the things of the spirit and wanting what God wanted and knew what was best. Paul going on to tell us why it's important that our mind is set in the right place in verse six, because when it's focused on the things the Lord desires of you, you're gonna experience life and peace. But if you follow the desires of your flesh that are contrary to God's word and what he wants for you, you're gonna experience death. One of the deceptions that we talked about last week And why it's important to understand this is because your flesh and the enemy are gonna try to get you to believe the opposite of that. It's gonna try to get you to believe that those things that your flesh craves are actually what's gonna give you some sort of fulfillment in life. And that's, all you gotta do is look, like my story at the very beginning in your past and understand that that's not true. It's only what God has for us that's truly gonna give us the fulfillment we're looking for in life. Paul telling us in verse seven, that you can't trust your flesh because by nature, it does not want to submit to God in his laws. We've already discussed up to this point. So even if the desires of our flesh appear right, the motives are often wrong and therefore it's impossible to please God by following our flesh, as verse eight says, because it is going to lead you in the opposite direction of where he wants you to go. This is exactly what happened when Adam, with Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden in Genesis three, all right? They had this perfect fellowship, this perfect relationship where they walked with God in the garden when they were in the spirit, when they were following him, when they were in line with his will in their life. But then Genesis three, six tells us that Eve saw the tree that was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So basically, her flesh, right? Oh, that looks good. I know God said that this wouldn't be good, but it looks good. And, you know, is it going to be such a bad thing to understand what's right and what's wrong? The law? Because surely that's not going to cause me to do the opposite of what it says if I know that. But that led her flesh, following her flesh, led to her and Adam eating the fruit on the one tree. God told them not to because it would result in death them. And that's exactly what Paul's reiterating here. When we follow our flesh, that's where it's going to lead us. But as Paul tells us in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, or it's because you are in Jesus, your flesh no longer has the control over you that it once did. So you don't have to follow it anymore. And now, instead, We're called by Jesus the same as he called Peter to do back to Matthew 16 and verses 24 through 26, where he says, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Or instead of following your flesh, follow me. Follow what." I say, and sometimes that's gonna involve taking up a cross or the idea is sometimes it's gonna mean doing something that you don't wanna do or that you don't see how it's the best thing for you. But then he says the result's gonna be in verse 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Or it's in following the Lord and his will for you where you're really gonna find the life that you're looking for in all the other things that isn't given it to you. It's only gonna be in him. There being a great example for us in scripture of a person who thought he could find what he was looking for in life through indulging his flesh to the fullest. What's his name? Huh? Solomon Suits, what's his name? Solomon. Yes, all right. (laughs) Okay. Sometimes you see people think that if I just had more money, all my problems would be solved. Well, this guy had more money than he knew what to do with, and yet he wasn't content. So then he tried relationships, and he had a 1,000 wives in concubines. Now, those of us that are married and know how hard it is to please our spouse sometimes know that that did not go well, okay? So he still wasn't happy. So he filled his head with knowledge, and then he comes to this conclusion in Ecclesiastes twelve twelve: much study wears you out. He went on to live lavishly with every luxury you could ever imagine, yet he was still unsatisfied. Solomon building his empire to the most powerful country in world power at at that time in history, yet he still remained empty. If there was anyone throughout history that you could honestly say had it all, it would have been Solomon, yet when he had everything one could ever want in his life, this was his reaction in Ecclesiastes twelve eight Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless, or the idea is none of it gave him the fulfillment that he was looking for. Solomon eventually figuring out what Paul is telling us here in Romans eight that what we're what we're truly looking for is only going to be found in him because at the end of Ecclesiastes in verse twelve or chapter twelve verse thirteen he says. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Basically the same thing uh, Jesus said in uh, Matthew 6.33, or like basically seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's in essence what he came to the conclusion. This is what I really need to find what I'm looking for. So now that Paul has told us why we should let the Holy Spirit lead our lives rather than our flesh, He's gonna tell us now how we're able to do this. So he goes on in verse nine and he says, you, who, who, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, because of righteousness, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So when you placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit was given to you as a gift to dwell inside of you and help you first know God and then to follow him into what his will is for you. That's an absolute for every Christian, as Paul here says in verse nine. The spirit being the third person of the Holy Trinity that's made up of God the Father, God the Son, who's Jesus, and God the Spirit, all equal, but distinct persons that make up one triune God. So to have the Holy Spirit in you is the same as having the Spirit of Christ, as Paul says in verse nine, since they're both they're equal in, in, in perfect unity. And because God could not live in a sinful home, our body or the old man that was a slave to our sinful flesh had to die, as Paul says in verse 10, and now we are alive in Christ who lives and reigns in and through us. And that is something that is very important for us to understand because in verses 9 through 11, Paul uses this word to describe our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's dwell. If you guys look at those verses, he uses it three times. He says dwells. Dwells in you. Dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And this is one of those words where it's helpful to understand the Greek meaning of it because it adds some context to what he's trying to say. And the meaning of that word, literally translated in the Greek, is to be at home. The Holy Spirit is to be at home in you. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that if you have a desire to know Jesus and obey his will for your life, then you have the Holy Spirit inside of you because that is the mission of the Holy Spirit. If you desire those things, then the Holy Spirit's inside of you because he's the one giving that to you. But an important question we need to ask ourselves is whether the Holy Spirit is at home in our lives. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.30, that might not be the case if we're living our lives according to our flesh in a way that is contrary to what God wants we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. So is the Holy Spirit at home in your life or is he being grieved? Jesus is inside of us. So when we choose to follow our flesh, we involve him in any of the activities that he doesn't wanna be a part of if we're doing something that's contrary to what he desires for us. Paul actually addressing a believer who is committing sexual immorality with a prostitute and telling them in 1 Corinthians 6.15, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Now, praise the Lord that there's no condemnation, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, but it is absolutely important that you have a correct realization of what is happening when we choose to give in to the temptations of our flesh because that in itself should be a deterrent in not wanting to do that and involve Christ, the one that saved us in those very things he's saved us from and doesn't want us to keep doing and harm ourselves in, amen? Now, even though the remnant of our fallen flesh still remains, Jesus is way more powerful than our flesh, as Paul Paul's early told us, and as such, we've been given all the help we need to overcome it And follow God instead experiencing the abundant life he desires for us as Paul tells us in verse 11. By choosing to let Jesus live through us or follow where he's leading instead of choosing to follow our flesh which God himself is the one that enables us all to do that. And Paul goes on in verse 12 and he says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Paul reminds us here in verse 12, you're not a debtor to your flesh. Your flesh has never led to anything good for you in your life, so you owe it absolutely nothing. Why would you want to keep following it? Paul reminding us over and over again that listening to our flesh is gonna lead to death because over and over again, your flesh and the enemy is gonna trick you into thinking that it's gonna lead to some sort of life. Instead, Paul tells us in verse 13, that the true life we're wanting will come by putting to death our flesh by saying no to it by the Spirit or by looking to the Lord for help to overcome it rather than trying to just be a good person in our own efforts. Paul actually corrects the Galatian believers that made the same mistake in Galatians 3.3. He says, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort. So these believers who had been born again through the power of the Holy Spirit started to think after they were saved miraculously by God in, in Jesus's work on the cross that somehow there were additional things that they could do in their own power and following the law to make themselves even more right with God. And he's saying, that's just foolish. What are you guys doing? You couldn't save yourself. You can't. Keep saving yourself or making yourself right with God. You were saved by the Holy Spirit, and so that is what you need to keep doing is following the Holy Spirit and let him continue to renew your mind and change you for the better. That's the key, not trying to do it in your own power. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So I want you to note here, Paul does not say those that go to church are sons of God. He does not say those that read your Bible are sons of God. He does not say those who take communion are sons of God. None of those things are bad, mind you, all right? But none of those are proof of your salvation. What is proof of us being his children is that we're looking and wanting to be led by his spirit, as Paul says in verse 14, because here's the thing. Jesus did not save you to be an admirer. He saved you to be his follower, okay? There's a difference. And how this practically looks in our lives is that we're letting the Holy Spirit constantly draw us or keep us close to Jesus and instead of, instead of allowing distance between us and him. We're looking to the Holy Spirit to guide us instead of looking to guide our own lives. We're looking to the Holy Spirit to be the governing authority instead of governing our lives because these are things where we've come to experience that what God has is so much better. So I want more of God. I want to be close to him. I want what he wants. And this doesn't mean that you don't mess up from time to time, as Paul talked about in the whole last chapter. But these are our desires overall. And what happens when we're letting the Holy Spirit lead us correctly, we're gonna know it because it's gonna lead to repentance when we have sin in our lives. It's gonna lead to anything that keeps us close to Jesus. It's gonna lead to us wanting to follow the truth of God's word. It's gonna lead to the love of God, both in you knowing that you're loved unconditionally and you don't have to doubt it, and both, in also in you wanting to show that unconditional love to other people, whether they deserve it or not. It's gonna lead to us into holy living. It's gonna lead to fruitfulness in our lives as we desire to serve one another. It's gonna lead to the peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the midst of our chaotic lives. It's gonna lead to the joy of the Lord and all the other fruits of the Spirit. That's what it looks like when we're being led by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this relationship we have with the Holy Spirit is meant to be one of cooperation, okay? Where he leads and we let him. Under the law, we were in slavery, which led to a constant fear of falling short, as Paul points out in verse 15. We had to do what it said to be right with God or to please him, yet we were unable to in our flesh but our relationship with God is completely opposite. It is not the same. Since we've been brought into the family of God through our faith in Jesus and made his children, we are in a loving relationship with the Lord, a relationship that, as Paul says in verse 15, allows us to call him Abba Father, which means Daddy or Papa. So we aren't forced to follow the Lord, but it makes absolute sense to, since he's our loving father in heaven. That is the new relationship we have in Christ rather than under the law. You're not forced to do anything, but you have every reason to do everything he tells us to. Amen? He says in verse 16, and the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So God does not want you to wonder about your salvation, is what Paul's saying here, and knows that it's something the enemy is gonna specifically get us to try to doubt in our lives. So Paul tells us in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit himself testifies or reminds us that we are God's children. So we don't have to wonder who we belong to. And this is, goes back to when you have a desire to know Jesus and do what he says. Again, this doesn't mean we, we obviously fall short, going back to Romans 7, but when that's your desire, that's from the Holy Spirit. That's how you know you're saved, okay? Now, and in knowing that we're God's children and being confident of that, we can also be confident that we're heirs just the same as his son, Jesus. And the reason you need to be confident of that is because that will lead to you not questioning his promises. The things God said have been received by you through your faith in Jesus, and nobody can take them away. The only one that could take them away is God, but he says he won't. You're saved, you're always saved, trust in God, trust in what he said, and you can be absolutely confident on that in everything he says, all right? And since we're in Christ, it's not only his inheritance from God that we share in, but also what Paul says in verse 17 is that you also are gonna share in his sufferings, or you're gonna go through the same things Jesus had to go through while he lived in this fallen world. But those hard things we have to go through have a beneficial purpose, just as we see the cross had for him, right? Because what looked very hard is what led to all of us being saved. And in like manner, the same suffering that we go through will also cause us to experience the same glorification Jesus has as God's using that adversity to make you more like his son. There's a reason for it. Before you were saved, there wasn't, but now there is, and that is something you can absolutely be sure of. Even if you don't see why the hard things are happening now or what the benefit of them is, you will see that in hindsight someday. Amen? A couple years ago, we adopted our dog, Gus Gus, into our family, and from that point on, he had to be adapted for our family or he had to learn not to go potty in the house he had to learn not to eat Zeke's toys he had to learn not to dig up my yard and he had to go through a little suffering in being disciplined so as to not learn those or to so as to learn those things for his own benefit so too with us the suffering we face now is adapting us spiritually to be a part of God's family and one day, those hardships will disappear completely as the Lord brings us into his glory fully, which we will experience for all eternity. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, as the worship team comes up here, I want to end on reading an account from 1 Samuel 5 that I think gives us a great example of how to properly put to death the deeds of the body. As Paul is, tells us in verse 13, and that's really the heart of this, is trying to tell us the why and how to not follow our flesh. So 1 Samuel 5, verses one through four. After the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. And they carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it inside, beside an idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him in his place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. So if you don't know the rest of this account, basically, they get the hint we need to send the ark back. This is not leading to good things for us. Obviously, their God's more powerful than ours. It's never a good thing if you have to prop up your God. But all that to say is, they send the ark back. Now, I want you to, in that example, tell me, what led to the Philistines' false god or idol of Dagon being toppled over or defeated? That's right. What was brought into that, that temple for that false god? the ark and the ark is symbolic of god's presence right and so too with us when our flesh is struggling with sin the answer is never to try to topple it over or or struggle and wrestle it or get rid of it the answer is always to bring yourself into the presence of the lord or bring the presence of the lord into your life because he is the one that topples over or defeats our sin, the daggons, if you will, in our life, all right? So for me, that's talking to God about things. It's trying to figure them out or worry about them in my own mind. It's listening to worship music and praising God, even at those times, especially at those times when I'm having a hard time being thankful for something. It's being in his word. It's doing life daily with other believers so that I can be encouraged and I can encourage them or I can be strengthened and reminded of the promises of God, the truth in his word. That's how I bring the spirit of God and allow him to fill my heart. And when that happens, I lose interest in the things of this world that my flesh can desire, not because I wrestled myself free, but because I, bought, or I brought the presence of the Lord into my life. It's always there, but I, when I lose focus, I, I don't acknowledge God. But when I get my eyes back where they need to be and I acknowledge his presence, I understand that he has things so much better for me and that's all I want over what my flesh wants, amen? The section of Romans eight is so critical for us to understand because so often we try to battle our flesh in our own power and it leaves us like Paul felt at the end of Romans seven, just wretched as we're unsuccessful and we're exhausted from this losing battle that we can't win in our own power. When God's word just tells us simply in Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love that passage because that makes it really simple, right? I think of like, like any relationship in my life, like with my wife, my kids, how do I delight myself in my family? I spend time with them. I'm delighted when I'm with them and I'm enjoying just daily living with my family. I delight myself in in their attributes, their characteristics, who they are, the things they do. My son uh would in cross country uh, last Friday I was at a meet over in Portland and like it was it was like it was really exciting cuz he was trying to break this this barrier and he broke it and and he, come, he came running up to me first and foremost and gave me a hug and it was really emotional, but I was delighting myself in being there and experiencing that with my son. And so that's what the Lord tells us to do. Just delight yourself in him and then he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's not to say some people misread that or misuse that verse and they say like that God will give you what you want. That's not what it's saying. It's actually saying he's actually gonna put the right desires he has for you in your heart like in you, when when you delight yourself in him, when you love him first and foremost, when he's the priority in your life, he's gonna put the right desires for you so that you know what he wants and how to experience that abundant life that he intends for you. So that's the key. I can overcomplicate it. I can make a list of things I should and I shouldn't do and f- miserably fail at that and feel a frustrated and tired and wretched, or I can just devote all my time to loving the Lord God, loving my Lord first and foremost in my life. And then by bringing his presence into my life and seeing that what he has for me is so much better, that's when I'll be able to know the good and pleasing perfect will that the Lord has for me and be able to rely on him for the power to live that out in my life, amen? And that's when you're really gonna experience life. I mean, I I look at my life before the Lord, and I did a lot of things that that this world would say would bring some sort of fulfillment, all right? I, I, I wanted to be a popular kid in school. I was popular. I wanted to be academically successful. I was academically su- successful. I wanted to succeed in, in sports, and I was really good at sports, and I'm not saying these things to try to be prideful, but these are all things, achievements, you know, like in the world's eyes that would say, oh, you'd be happy and you'll be a good, you know, like you'll be satisfied, you'll be fulfilled. And yet I was depressed and I was discouraged, suicidal at times. Feeling like death is what I felt like. And that's why I was so drastic when Jesus came to my life. I, I felt life, I had purpose, I had a reason to live. I was significant in the God that created me's eyes. And I was saved. I had this awesome future all of a sudden and and eternity to spend with him and being used to do awesome things. He gave me the reason to live. And he still gives me the reason to live. And he's given that to all of us. And that's why we wanna follow him, not our flesh. He saved us from that loser that was just leading us the wrong way in the opposite direction of life. And so if you're here today and you're feeling, if you can relate to that, like your life is just full of death, disappointment, discouragement, anxiety, exhaustion. If you're not a Christian, it's because the only true life that you're ever gonna find is in Jesus. And he's done everything that, you, that needed to be done so that you could have a relationship with him for all eternity He died on the cross, not for his benefit, but for ours because he was the only one capable of being a perfect sacrifice to take the just penalty all of our sins required upon himself and pay it in full. And that's what he did for every sin we've ever done, every sin we will ever do. And so, and then he rose from the grave three days later, proving that he conquered death, that he had the power over it. And in the process, he freed us from the power of sin because he came into our lives regenerated us, we're born again as the Bible calls, we're new in Christ. That old nature of ours that couldn't help but follow our flesh and do the opposite of what God says is good and right, that's been defeated. It's dead, it went to the grave with Jesus, we are new in him, and now he's inside of us to, like I said, lead us into a relationship with him and lead us into the life he intends for us where we'll, we will truly experience fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, everything we're looking for it'll be found in him, and you can have that here today. It's as simple as you, in humility, calling out to God, and what, doing what the Bible calls repentance, turning from going away from God, turning towards him, and asking for him to save you, and come into your life, and be your, the Lord, the one that leads, that you follow. And he'll do that, and you'll leave here with his spirit inside of you, and you will start to experience that life I'm talking about. If you're somebody that's a Christian, we, we can get back into this, right? This is a, a Romans 7. We're constantly in our flesh until we're with Jesus and, and our flesh is gone forever. But right now our flesh is there. And it's like that description Paul had. It's like we're dragging it around with us. And it wants to constantly be this weight that kind of pulls us in the opposite direction and start focusing on the things it wants again that are only gonna continue to disappoint us. We've already seen that where that gets us And so we have to constantly remind ourselves, I don't want what my flesh wants. I want what the Lord wants. And this is the place to be, to to delight yourself in the Lord. Here in his church amongst his people, worshiping him like we're gonna do right now, praying with your brothers and sisters. We'll have our prayer team around the room. This is the way you draw close to God. This is the way you, you acknowledge his presence so that he can topple over those those struggles in your flesh and lead you in the victory he's already won you. Amen? If you wanna receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we can lead you in that prayer. If you just want prayer because of you, this, the this Holy Spirit's ministering you right now because you're struggling in your flesh and you wanna walk in that victory, you wanna acknowledge the presence of God, you just want him to fill you afresh, come up and we'll pray with you. The rest of us, let's just praise the Lord. Man, that that more than anything is my go-to thing. I'm, I've got worship music, worship music ringing all, the, all day long in my house. When I had it on last night when I sleep, because Sundays are a hard night to sleep, I have it in my car, I have it when I'm in the shower, because when I'm praising God, I can't help but praise God and not have my focus on him. They go hand in hand. So if my focus isn't on him before I start praising God, when I start praising God, it gets on him, and I, I just enjoy his presence, amen. Lord God, be with us right now. Be with my brothers and sisters. We thank you so much for releasing us from our flesh, for giving us life in Jesus. We're so thankful we can be like Paul here and be confident of who we are in Jesus. We can be confident that the penalty for our sin has been paid for, so there's no condemnation. We can be confident that we, because we're in Jesus, we've been set free from the power of sin, so we don't have to listen to our flesh. We can follow Jesus you, the one that has given us true life. We can be confident of the inheritance we have, that all your promises are yes and amen, that nothing's gonna change that because you will be faithful even when we're faithless. That's what your word says. You can't deny who you are. If you said it, you've promised it, we've received it through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not dependent on us, nothing can be taken away. We stand here as your children today, and we are so humbled that we can call you our father and we wanna to look to you as our father, Lord, and follow as you lead us in this life. So be with us now, Lord. If we came in here just trying to live in our flesh or with our focus in the wrong place, would you just captivate our attention right now? We know your Holy Spirit is wanting to do that and we just wanna listen. In Jesus' name, amen.